Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 272 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and Other Motorsports podcast, or episode 6 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the white male from Britain, Chris Roche. Hey, Chris. <laughs> hey, Robin. But I am also joined by a good friend and international professional race car driver, Rob Holland. Hey, Rob. <laughs> What's up, buddy? How you doing? Now, um, you might have been able to infer from my introduction to Christopher Roche that Rob Holland is not exactly a white male. Uh, Rob is and a... And not from Britain, too. And not from Britain, <laughs> either. Rob is a longtime, interna- a longtime race car driver. He's raced um, all over the world, and he has done so as a black man. Rob, haven't you? Uh, for my whole life. Or, or was, that, was that a recent change? Did that... Uh... <laughs> yes. As far as I know, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why uh, I got this group together is because the day after uh, Chris Roche and I recorded our last podcast, as is the way of things, uh, Lewis Hamilton's contract was uh, finalized and made public. And, and there were boy, a lot of... am I relieved about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a lot of interesting aspects of it, the fact that it's only one year long and um, other bits like that. But one, one aspect that really struck me was that Lewis really wanted help from Mercedes on his push to have more diversity in racing. And it struck me that a good friend of mine has lived that quest for diversity of racing at a, an extremely personal level. And uh, we put this together and Rob's here to join us and talk about it, talk about his feelings about Lewis's contract and about his own experiences doing this. And even more than that, you are also, you are racing again this year, 2021, with the focus of diversity and racing. And you're doing that with Roush. Yeah, it's a new program this year. Uh, we've been working in conjunction with uh, the guys at SRO. They've been trying to get me back into the series for a number of years. And when we uh, we sat down and had a few drinks and, and decided that the, the best way to do this would be to try to get some meaning out of it, not just bringing me back into race cars, but um, being one of the very few minorities at this level in motorsports, um, they felt it was really important to kind of use that to hopefully, you know, I guess jumpstart uh, more diversity within the in the paddock, not just on the driver level, because as, as we all know, the the ugly secret of motorsports is if you're not funded, you're you're really not getting behind the wheel of the car, but uh, but more on the on the paddock side of things, more with the crew guys, engineers. Uh, drivers, PR people, so on and so forth. So it could be a more sustainable, uh, you know, creation of jobs and hopefully, uh, you know, a longer lasting uh, impact on diversity in motorsports. Yeah, when I when I was making my attempt at going pro in racing, I felt like a minority in the sense that I wasn't wealthy. To me, it was like God. It's it's frustrating to be. It's frustrating to be quote unquote, the poor kid here, but I was still, I still looked like everybody else. And so it does kind of bring into sharp relief. There's a whole, it's an extremely homogeneous sport, I guess is a good way to put it. You being in in that circumstance, how, is it a palpable feeling or is it something that you just largely just goes into the background? Well, I mean, I think it's just going to depend on, on who, 
that question is directed at. I mean, from, from my perspective, I, I grew up in, you know, Westchester County, New York. My dad was the CEO of, of a major corporation. Um, you know, I grew up going to, you know, bar mitzvahs for, for you know, you know, CEOs, kids, families and stuff. So, uh, you know, I was used to being the only minority, you know, in, in a hundred mile radius. And then, you know, clearly once, you know, I go start my, you know, racing career, I go move over to, to Germany and live up in the Eiffel Mountains of Germany, which is, is not the most diverse place on the planet either. So for, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the third most diverse place okay, yeah, in the planet. Yeah, I, I, we did some research. Manhattan and Miami. Got it. <laughs> exactly right. Manhattan, Manhattan, Miami and yeah, the Eiffel Mountains in Germany. Yeah. No. Um, so it was it was it's a weird thing. So it wasn't something that, you know, from my perspective that it really um, was was ridiculously noticeable. But but if you're you were coming from from any other place, but kind of where I've come from, you know, it is going to be very noticeable, I think. And that's one of the reasons I think we're, we're not seeing as much diversity because, you know, the motorsport paddock in general is a, is a fairly intimidating place. You know, you go there and you walk in and it is guys that, you know, you know, millionaires and billionaires and, and you know, it's it's big, huge haulers and really, you know, million dollar RVs and million dollar race cars. And, you know, if you're, you know, a kid from the Bronx trying to, you know, make your way through or Detroit or wherever, um, you know, it's uh it, it's definitely an intimidating place to be. And then on top of that, you, you're adding all of this other stuff. So, um, you know, I, I really think that, that, you know, deep down, that is one of the things that uh, is, is one of the big issues why you're not seeing more diversity is just simply because it's just too intimidating for a lot of guys to really make their way through. Now, Chris, you've, you spent uh, some time looking at Lewis Hamilton's contract and the different aspects <laughs> of it. You you co-wrote the contract, I believe, right? <laughs> but uh, well, he's got to become the goat, right? So to do that, he's got to be an eight-time world champion. So he's got to do at least one more season. That's right. So, <laughs> what 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 has struck you as a as a you being the minority here as the only Briton uh, in the podcast <laughs> right now? What 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 struck you about uh, Lewis's contract and uh, the different aspects of it? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a one-year-only contract, so for 2021, which is curious in itself. And it sounds like uh, they literally just ran out of time. There were they were obviously a lot of different things they couldn't quite agree on for the start of this season. So they just uh, put a quick band-aid in place uh, to get through this year and, and give more time to discuss for 22 and beyond. I mean, it's interesting some of the language that, that Mercedes have used and uh, and Toto has been talking about that, you know, Lewis is considered as a brand ambassador, so I don't think he's going anywhere else. He's going to be a Mercedes man uh, probably for life. And the talk of this foundation being established and a, and a long-term partnership between Lewis and uh, Mercedes to really try and, and help with diversity and inclusion. I think in, in Formula One, in motorsport, um, you know, which is which is fantastic. And obviously that's on the heels of Lewis's initiative to set up a commission last year uh, with a UK focus to try and look at and research how to increase diversity. And his, you know, that focus is about improving the take-up um, of the STEM subjects uh, by, by minorities. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, the, the, the more you dig, the more you find uh, initiatives going on that aren't very well publicized, actually. So hopefully these will all start to uh, bear fruit uh, in, the near, in the near term. So, Rob, you're aware of Lewis's contract as well. You've seen, you know, we have 
God, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. We have Bubba Wallace in NASCAR. We have Lewis in Formula One. And then we have you. <laughs> that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of my list. I mean, wh- where there, do you? There, there are a few more guys. I mean, there's like Adrian Zaug is out there. Um, you know, you, you've got you've got two or three other guys, but yeah, the, the list is is very very short. Um, the number of, of drivers that are at this level, and um, and I'm I'm actually really mad at myself. The names escaping me, but the the mega sports car driver of the '80s and '90s, and he had a stint in IndyCar as well. Willie T. Ribs. Willie yeah. T. Ribs. Thank you. Um, you know, well, and Willie T. Just to interject there, did a wonderful interview on Beyond the Grid last year, talking about his experiences. He and did. He was the yeah. first uh, African American to to get a test drive in an F1 car, courtesy of Bernie Eccleston. And that's a great listen, actually. Uh, that interview was very interesting. And I guess there's a film out about it called Uppity. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. It, I hear it's good. I got to uh, find it and uh, and watch it. it. Sounds like a really interesting movie. Yeah, it is. It's it's very interesting. But where where do you see? I mean, is is Lewis going about this in the right way? Um, you know, that's I don't think there's that's an easy question to answer if, if it's if it's answerable at all. I mean, you know, it's going about it in a way, and I think that's more than that's been been done in the past. I mean, and that's I think the the big thing is is this is and and, and talking to a lot of friends of mine in motorsport, it's interesting conversation because some of them don't understand why the push is necessary like why 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 are we we pushing for more diversity you know they they look at racing as a meritocracy which uh you know from from my perspective is complete bs i mean racing isn't really a meritocracy i mean you look at uh, you know a lot of the guys in the sport and the reason that they're there is because they can write the check you know and and that's yeah. that's kind of a, no, a known fact i would call it um, an oligarchy and, if if we're going to call it anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but pretty much you know but i think that but the bigger thing to, to, to really realize is is that you know it, it, you know in doing a lot of the sim racing that I've been doing you know over the past few years that, that you've joined us on, you look at you know some of these these kids in sim racing and you take all the best pros in the U.S. You know you've got myself and Jack Roush and um, you know and all of these guys that show up, Guy Cosmo and and you know and you look at the lap times and there's there's you know all the pros are together we're running within a couple of tents and then there's always this kid that's three seconds faster than the rest of us so clearly you know i think if this if it was true meritocracy you know there, there'd be uh, a lot of us wouldn't have jobs right now so because i think there'd be a whole a whole group of, of kids that can't afford to to get behind the wheel of a real car out there that have have as much if not more talent than some of the guys who are making a living at it so so i think that's how you really have to take a look at this and 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 recognize that the way people have been looking at the sport is completely wrong. And on top of that, you know, there's, there's very good reasons why we're pushing for this diversity. So regardless of what Lewis is or isn't doing, I think the fact that someone is, is trying to do something and has been able to mobilize a company like Mercedes um, to put dollars behind this and, and not only dollars, but the, the, the effort and the might of Mercedes behind it, I think is, is hugely important. And I, I think there's going to be an impact, but all of this stuff takes time. You know, if you're developing, whether it's drivers or if you're developing pit crew or whatever, you can't just say overnight we're going to have, you know, 10 black drivers on the grid or, or female drivers or, or gay drivers or whatever, because it takes a while to get to that point of, of developing these guys. So this is not something that's an overnight thing. This is something that, that has to have a, you know, a, lot of, uh, a lot of momentum to, to um, you know, to, I think, have an effect down the road. But just to just to add to that, I mean, this is bigger than, than the driver population, isn't it? I mean, Lewis's initiative 
is about all of motorsport. So as you mentioned earlier, it's about the crew. It's about the, the mechanics, the engineers that are working in the sport. And I mean, there was a couple of facts I found. So Mercedes Formula One team, which is based in the UK, uh, with about a thousand, a thousand uh, people in in the in their powertrain and and that is divisions. another big melting pot of cultures: Bricksworth and Brackley. Yeah. Well, so so th- this is the point, right? Three percent of their employees identify themselves as uh, BAME or black and minority ethnicity. So to put that into perspective, the UK as a whole is 15%. So I think, you know, Lewis's push, it, I think, isn't to try and get more competition at the sharp end of the grid. It's more why, when I walk around the paddock, right, aren't there more people that look like me? And I think that's a really legitimate point. And, and, and so the, the initiatives between the foundation and the commission, I don't think are going to help any of us get a seat in Formula One, but they might help more kids get into, into science, into engineering, and, and hopefully into Formula One. Which, which will definitely be a good thing. And, and the question I have is, where, where's those initiatives happening at this side of the pond, right? What's going on in the U.S. to help that? I don't think there's any initiatives, are there? And that's what we're trying to, to bring forward with SRO. I mean, and, okay. you know, in, IndyCar has started some stuff. They, they've got a, a team that they're, they're funding, and uh, I believe it's either F4 or Indy Lights, um, where they're trying to bring some more minorities in. The, the, the problem that I have, and, I, and, and also IMSA has a program as well that they're, they're starting, um, but the, the issue that I have is that the, the focus for a lot of these programs has, has been more about the driver than about, about crew and, and I guess, uh, other team members. And the problem with, once again, going back to just focusing on the driver, the driver's great. He's a figurehead, and I, and I understand from, you know, a lot of the series, uh, you know, thought processes is that the, the, they want the driver because they want to be seen as doing something. And if you're focused on the pit crew or if you're focused on behind the scenes stuff, that really doesn't get you the notoriety that a lot of these guys are, are looking for. Mm. But, but once again, unless you are funding a driver for years and years and years and giving him a ladder to be able to wa- work his way up to the top of motorsport and, and teaching him how to be, to work with sponsors and teaching him how to, to, to be a, a, a true professional and not just, uh, you know, a guy who's got some money because he's being backed by the series, then you, you basically create something that's not sustainable. The driver will be there as long as you're writing checks, but as soon as you stop, he has nowhere to go. Mm. And, and, and the bigger thing is, is that it doesn't really give any options, you know, okay, if it's IMSA or SRO or Formula One or Indy or whatever, um, you're, you're basically wedded to them continuing to write you checks. So it's not like you could go and say, work your way up the Formula One ladder and then get to a point where maybe F3 or F2 that you can't go any farther. And then you say, okay, well, I'll become an indie driver. Well, you can't because the money that you're wedded to is from Formula One and they're not going to pay you to go to go race indie cars. So I think you need to create a system where you, you know, once again, you're, you're working with people in the paddock that, you know, an engineer can be an engineer in sports cars. You can be an engineer in IndyCar. You can be an engineer in F1. And those are the things that I think that we need to really focus on because it, it, it creates that sustainability and, and throughout the paddock and throughout every paddock, not just Formula One or IndyCar or sports cars. But let's, let's take a step back because there's all those things are excellent points. But I do wonder about people's attitudes about it. And Rob, you mentioned and that uh, a lot of people feel like there's no need for it because it's a meritocracy. And there is, to a certain degree, if you have the money, you have a way in. But is that really true? I'm wondering if people are willfully ignorant that 
for minorities of of any sort, uh, and we could talk about female sexual preference, et cetera, et cetera. Is the racing paddock a welcoming place? Yes or no? And that's uh, is or is that something that really needs to be looked at? Well, no. I mean, so here here's and I, it's funny because after kind of all of this has kind of kicked off and the big push for diversity, I got asked by. Pretty much every automotive journalist on the planet, literally that exact same question. You know, how I much- mean, from me multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, from you multiple times, but, but even still, no. And, and the, the funny thing is, is, is that you know, and, and, and it boils down to the question: Is there racism in motorsports? And you know, of course, there's racism in motorsports. I mean, they just just by the sheer percentages of things you know if if there are percentages of people in the world that don't like me because of the color of my skin then yes by percentage they're going to be those people in motorsport however i i don't have never had an impact i i feel in my career that that where racism has has held me back or stopped me or or diverted me from doing anything i wanted to do so i I, so i don't really feel that overall that, that the paddock is racist and I don't also feel that racism is why the paddock isn't more diverse. It, racism, sexism, you know, go through all of the, the isms. And, and I, I don't really feel that that's, that's a large, to a large degree that's the big issue. You know, so, uh, you know, and let me, let me back out of that and go. One of my big things is, is that there is no pathway into motorsport for, for a lot of people, but minorities especially, minorities and, and women especially, because there's no pathway, it, it's you know I, I my, my old, one of my old engineers was talking to me the other day and, and he basically said hey look I, I will work with anyone and I and I and I, I me personally truly believe that I, he's a great guy and a great engineer and I don't believe that that he is in any way shape or form um, you know would hold someone's you know race or, or or sex or whatever against them. That being said. I, I asked him this question. I said, well, how many of those people have showed up on your door? And he goes, well, none. And I go, that's the problem, is that you're willing to work with anyone who shows up at your door. You're ignoring the fact that the pathway to your door is, is not an obvious and clear pathway. And the way that I, I see 90% of the people that I know in motorsports, the way that they got there was through a connection, whether it was a family connection, and that's what I see a lot of. I mean, it's, oh, my, you know, my grandfather raced, and his grandfather raced, and yada, yada, yada. And you go, that's great. But because back then there was a lot of racism in motorsports and you didn't see a lot of minorities in motorsport, there is not that history and that, that pathway through that history to lead someone who's a minority into that sport. So, you know, now where you, you don't have a family member or a close friend or a friend of a friend that's in motorsports, there is no easy way for these guys to get to that door to knock on it and go, hey, I, I'm interested in being a motorsport engineer or mechanic or PR person or whatever. That door doesn't exist for a lot of people. And I think that's 90% of the problem as to why the paddock is in a more diverse place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, and Chris, I'd really love to hear your opinion on this as well. I think one of the reasons why it's easy for so many people to not think that it has nothing to do with race or uh, being a minority of any sort is that the racing environment is so literal, uh, so limiting for so many people. There's 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 countless number of white males that also can't go racing because they don't have the money or the connections or whatever else. So I think there's this sense of 
it's not racist. It's just really hard for anyone to do full stop. And for me, you know, what I kind of got at is like it was really hard for me to not have tons of money. And Chris, I know that you did some racing as well. And I mean, do you get that same sense as that like whoever was there felt like the lucky few? And did did you get that sense as well in Britain as a kid? Well, so I grew up in Banbury, a small market town in England that happens to have a Formula One team there today. It had Pro Drive Rally before F1 team came calling. But, you know, it's just down the road from Brackley. You could cycle to Silverstone if you really fancied a lot of exercise. But it wasn't obvious to me as a motorsport fan growing up, you know, in England, uh, how to get into the sport. No one tells you how to get into motor racing of any level, whether it's as a as an engineer or as a driver. You know, it's just not any level of motorsport has so many people that are, you know, diehard interested in the sport for whatever reason, and enough competition and enough quality of individuals coming through that want to work hard in the sport that they don't need to go out and attract people, right? And they're not opening their doors or welcoming people of any type into the sport. It's like you have sure. to find your way to get in. Sure. So I think that's part of the issue. And, and I know in the UK they did start university courses that were geared towards getting into racing. And so I think the more mechanisms we have to try and attract people and get people into the sport, then you can then try and work on the diversity. But right now you've got a fundamental issue. How do you attract new blood into the sport rather than, as as, uh, Rob was saying, the same old, same old generation after generation of people who've always known, like if you grew up in Indianapolis, you know, that's the sort of business you can go into, right? It's like in Detroit, you go into the car business. Indianapolis, I guess... You go car racing potentially. Maybe it's more common there, or in or in racing belt in England. You know, there's more, it's more accessible because you might know someone involved in the sport who can introduce or get you in a Saturday job or whatever. But it's not a welcoming sport. It's not. It just it just isn't. It's not accessible. You don't see it on your doorstep. You can't play play karting in your in the you know your front yard. Yeah. It's a tricky sport to start with to get involved in, isn't it? Exactly right. Exactly right. It's 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 just hard to get into. Period. And yeah. then let alone the other issues of it. And Rob, I'm curious, since you've raced, you've raced um, SRO, you've raced Speed World Challenge and a lot of things here in the U.S., climbed Pikes Peak several times, but you've also raced British Touring Car Championship. And I think you've actually done, is it five or six laps around the Nordschleife? I can't remember. No, I know you counted one, once. One or two. Yeah. One or two. But do do you notice any difference between racing in the states and racing in Europe? Is there a difference between those two? Uh, in terms of diversity, at any, I mean, obviously there's some differences, but like, just I guess in terms of the feeling in the paddock, I'm trying to keep it more general. Just to, I'm not necessarily, <laughs> I'm not necessarily trying to say what's the percentage of diversity in Europe versus America, but. Like, what's the feeling of feeling like an outcast in one place or another or feeling less welcome in one place or another? Like, is there any difference at that no. level? No, not at all. I mean, both Paddock were, were incredibly welcoming to me. I mean, it was tough going into Pirelli World Challenge because I was a rookie and, you know, an, un, an untested rookie, you know, with a with a factory drive with Dodge. So, you know, kind of I, all eyes were on me regardless of, of you know, what my, my skin color was. So, And that was um, a Dodge Neon, right? The SRT4. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah, so. it was basically a uh, front-wheel drive Evo. 
basically no it was a actually it was an awesome car i had a lot of fun oh those things i mean i drove the street version and that even the street version was pretty mean but it was it was the mitsubishi turbo two liter yeah no and that's exactly what it was and it had so it had a massive engine but because the the program was relatively new um they they didn't really have the the handling dialed down the braking dialed down so it was it was a great uh, experience for me working with you know the guys at 3r racing and and uh, who was running the program for Dodge and, and Will Moody, who is a, just a genius engineer. Um, and that just taught me so much about uh, everything in motorsport. I mean, it was, you know, I, it was literally the baptism by fire, but, you know, it was, it was a great experience. And so from my perspective, it was, it was tough just because I was coming in as a, as a factory driver. And I've, I've gone my whole career without trying to be a black race car driver. That was never, you know, my goal wasn't to be a black race car driver. It was to be a race car driver and win races. You know, they don't, they don't give me a trophy for being the first black race car driver across the line. What? You know, the Wait, the hold day, on. There's no trophy for that? No, no. We were hoping in a new diversity program that'll, that'll, that'll change so I can get, <laughs> get some prize money for being the first, first let's, black driver let's, across let's, the line. That's, that's, the, that's the program that we should start, the three of us. The, <laughs> exactly. The, the diversity no, but, trophy. No, it's but see that's the thing though is, is as a driver I mean, and I think this is where a lot of the some, somewhat of the pushback trying to to get diversity programs accepted is is just that that whole thing is is that oh you you want a special trophy or you want an advantage or this that and the other and it's like well no no, no I don't I don't want any of that I, I I showed up to this sport to compete on an equal level with everybody else and that's all I'm asking for. You know, but and I, I the, the going back to this this full circle argument again is is that there was no clear pathway for me to get into motorsport, even though people were accepting and and you know happy to see me and 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 welcoming. Um, you know, my my pathway was as bizarre and unusual a pathway as you could possibly get. So it's not like you could replicate what I did to get into motorsport. And I think that's the problem. And I, I've kind of gone through my whole career and I haven't, you know, I've, I've really never pushed the fact that I'm black. I, I've never been like, hey, I'm a black guy out here racing cars. In fact, it's funny. I, I actually, some of the reason why I'm really kind of focusing on this diversity program now is because I realized that I haven't been, you know, vocal enough about minorities in motorsport and, and, and my story in motorsport. I've always been like, well, hey, look, I'm a racer and if I'm successful and some black kid sees me and is inspired by what I do so that he goes out and joins the sport. Well, I've, I've done what, you know, what I should do. And and that's enough. And what I realized is, is that a lot of people in motorsport didn't realize I was black. They literally, they read my name and, you know, they'd see a picture of me that usually had a helmet on or something like that. And I've got guys that were like, Rob, we've, we, we know who you are. We've seen all the stuff you've done. We've read your stuff in Jalopnik and road and track and wherever else you've written stuff but we never knew you were black. And so clearly I haven't done a good enough job in creating that, that space and that pathway. And that's what this program with Roush is all about and SRO and, you know, Motul and all of my partners that have been, been stepping up that have really been excited about this program coming together is, is to create that open door and go, Hey guys, look, we're, we're a diverse team. We're, we're black, we're Asian, we're white, we're male, we're female. And it's, it's an open door, you know, and it's not, it's, it's this, if you're interested in motorsport, we want you to be a part of it, no matter what you are, what you look like, or, or what your background is, or, or whatever. And, you know, honestly, a lot of the, where I've gotten a lot of the inspiration from is, is, uh, is drifting, believe it or not. If you look at drifting, if you go into any paddock in, in a drifting competition, 
it's one of the more diverse places you'll see in motorsport. I mean, right now it's 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 mainly Asian, but it's Asian, but there's Hispanic and black, and there's a lot of women in in, in drifting now, and it's just a, a far more easily accessible place to be than I think that you get into open wheel racing or sports car racing, and I and I want to have that open door feeling. Uh, I want to bring that to sports car racing and SRO. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That drifting is an is an example of something farther along. Um, you you touched on one thing though that I wanted to uh, reiterate. That sense of like, well, I wasn't trying to be a black car race black race car driver. I was trying to be a race car driver. And you know, I've been lucky to interview uh, Catherine Leg a few times, and uh, more recently Jamie Chadwick, uh, the reigning W Series champion, mm-hmm. and. That's what struck me about them was how little they wanted to emphasize the fact that they were women race car drivers. It's like, no, I'm a race car driver. The less you think about my gender and the more you think about my quality as a driver, the better. And there always seemed to be this, whether it was deliberate or just innate, the sense of minimizing the differences. And it's like, no, 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 just look at my merits as a driver and let's move on. Well, and I think that's the thing, is that no one wants to be seen as, oh, you, that was a great race for a woman, you know, or a great race for a black guy or whatever. It, it's, that's, that's not how race car drivers are, are wired. You know, we, we, we are very uh, empirical in our, in our how we look at things. And, and if you qualified on pole and you led every lap and you won the race, then you did a good job. If you qualified dead last and got taken out in the first corner, then you did a terrible job. And that's all that matters. It doesn't make a difference who you are, who's behind that that visor and the helmet. And I think that the media does uh, their part in trying to, to blow that up because it is. I mean, there, it is inspiring. I mean, it is great to, for a little girl to come in and see a, a female race car driver duking it out with the, with the men. But from a female race car driver's standpoint... They don't want to be seen as anything less than equal to to the people they're competing against. And I think that's the, the main thing. So, Chris, looking at this and looking at what Lewis Hamilton's doing, Lewis Hamilton's career has one that's obviously been incredibly successful. But I've always been just so impressed at how he's grown as a human being over the time and how much appreciation he has for the circumstances he's in and things like this. What do you think about the fact that this was a major part of his contract, that this was something he really wanted to push for? And as a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, how do you feel about these terms of his contract and how that was a big emphasis for him? Well, I think this is a relatively recent thing for him, right? I don't know if... uh he realized how much influence he could he could have in in the racing world the, the you know the f1 community fans of f1 until last year you know he hadn't made a big deal of his race prior to last year but i think now it's a, he's on a real mission and i think he you know he's affecting change and people are noticing it and i think that's fantastic you know if if this keeps him racing for longer and and he can achieve his his wider goals through this. I mean, I you know I think it's uh, you know a laudable initiative. I mean, it's fantastic because the problem is, is you look through, you look through the rest of the the F one field. You look at the you know the F two grids and 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 uh, the academies out there. And it, you know, once he retires, 
you know, where's the next uh, black uh, Formula One driver going to come from? That's the concern, right? So he has to make as big an impression as he can while he is the dominant player in, in Formula One. Um, and, uh, and then hopefully he can encourage more, more to follow in his footsteps. Tell your Sorry daughter I said hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, hey man, uh, you know, family podcast. That's what this is. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me th- that we're in this position where it's finally being looked at, and I think that's I think th- it's an important first step, and I think that I think that you know if you go back to baseball. I don't think Willie Mays was trying to be the first black anything and to be some huge – I think he just wanted to play baseball and he wanted to do as good of a job as he could. And if if, if you look at any discipline, it's because they have a passion for that discipline, not because they're intentionally trying to break ground. But once you start drawing attention to it, that starts kind of – opening people's eyes to the reality of the circumstances. I don't think any athlete out there starts playing a sport to break ground. I, I just don't – I don't think you can can be successful um, at that level at what you do if your motivation is I want to break new ground. Um, I think you have to have a passion for what you do, and, and that, that's, that's a passion for, for whatever sport it is. And if you look around right now, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of sports that are going through kind of the same reckoning that, that Formula One is, is going through. You look at, like, hockey. You know, hockey's looking around going, well, you're, wow, there's, like, five black players in the league, which, if you look at it, is substantially more than we have in motorsports. So they're, they're actually doing a much, <laughs> a much better job. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it goes on beyond that. And, you know, there's equestrian sports and all of these non-traditional sports, the non call it stick and ball sports. It's not basketball, it's not baseball, it's not football. And that's kind of where you, you've really seen black athletes kind of limited to, or, or at least that that's where the focus has been. Real real quick, Christopher, uh, football is, um, is American. Oh, that game you play with your hands. Rugby. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't involve the foot. Got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and baseball, baseball is a much simpler version of cricket. Yeah, we have rounders in England. It's very similar. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I, sorry, I had to I, translate. It's a... No, no, no. I always get that. I, every time I go over to the UK, I say football, and everyone looks at me and goes, oh, you like, you like our football? And I go, oh, no, 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 not that football, the other football. <laughs> but, we, you know, it's ironic, though, because uh, just re- this is a real quick aside. And, Chris, I think you're the one that pointed this out to me. It was actually the British that originally coined the term soccer, and then they just reverted back to the term football. Yeah, it's a long convoluted history. I don't know. We should just use soccer and football. Then it's everyone's clear, right? Right. But that's not going to happen. So let's just... <laughs> right, we'll right. continue to make fun of Britain should also drive on the left side of the, of the car. But, but I've got some tough <laughs> questions for Rob at the end of the interview, okay, about his time <laughs> in the UK. So we'll get to that later. <laughs> What is it? What's the uh, the saying? Two great countries divided by a common language. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and no, it's not aluminium. It's aluminum. Oh, yes. Robin likes to talk about the additional use we, we scatter. <laughs> yes, uh, the color of uh, all the wonderful things. Yes, exactly. But, uh, you know, that it is fascinating to me that we have these drivers 
like Lewis Hamilton, who's not just a good Formula One driver. He is, statistically speaking, the greatest Formula One driver in history on many, many levels. And as likely as any before his career is done, that would include championships. Do you think that him having the impact, the power that he has, took him being that good? Do you think Do you think if he were um, like Jensen Button and won a world championship, won several Grand Prix, but not a standout multi-champion, do you think that he would have a, a huge – would that have – just diminished his impact? I mean, is it is it much more important that he's as good as he is? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you have to look at it. Uh, uh, Jensen Button was a, was a great driver, but his ability didn't increase his reach beyond people who were motorsport fans to begin with. Whereas Lewis and his domination of the sport for, for you know, almost a decade now has made him an international star that has a reach beyond motorsport. So I think that that reach gave him the power to be able to go to a company like Mercedes and go, look, you know, if I sign with you again, here's what you're going to have to do in order to, to, to keep me. So I, I really think that, that Lewis is the only person that I would say, maybe, maybe an Artin Senna, maybe, maybe a Schumacher, um, but you have to be that level of good in order to be able to get that. And also recognize it's, it's also a a confluence of events. I mean, you have to look at, obviously, we had, you know, the, the whole George Floyd thing that set everything off, but you now also have the the reach, the global reach of, of social media platforms that didn't exist back in the days of Prost and Senna and Schumacher and all of those guys. So regardless of how big they were and how important they were within the sport, they weren't going to have the reach that Lewis does right now. And I think that's what he's finally caught on to that hey look i am actually that good and i have that power and that reach now um that i could i could actually make a a positive change not just within the sport but globally i think that's something that struck me is you know formula one generally speaking as the season got going in the middle of the pandemic there were those segments that were part of the coverage of end racism and things like that and then lewis hamilton specifically really pushed he had a lot of um justice for brianna taylor shirts on and things like that where they he was really taking it to the next level and then at the same time uh rob you and i had a lot of back and forth about the different things going on in the nascar world with bubba wallace while all these things were going in you know george floyd etc etc there has been kind of a a global awakening that Motorsports couldn't avoid as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, you also look at even like you know NASCAR. I mean, we've been focusing on Formula One, but NASCAR has had the same problem, if not worse. You know, just because of of its background and its history and and its its uh, stigma of being this good old boy series. That, well, real that, quick, you know, uh, sorry to interject, but uh, it was it was less than a year ago. I think like six months ago that NASCAR officially banned the Confederate flag. At races, that was yeah, months I mean, ago. But, but, <laughs> but, that, but that's NASCAR as a, as a as a series. I mean, they they only what banned leaded a leaded gas. What you know, a couple of years before that. So you know, NASCAR has always been dragging a bit behind the times. So I think it's one of those things where they they really had to to figure out what the best way forward was, and and they realized that within 
you know, what they have done and how they presented themselves, you know, that was a, a big change that needed to be made. And, and you know, but the, the, the nice thing about that is, is that they did actually realize that. They did go, hey, look, we, this is something that is now important. We, we do actually have a black driver here and we recognize the fact that we are, um, you know, we're, we're way behind the times on that. And I think they also, you know, NASCAR is coming to the, to the recognition. They, they've been there for a while. But being a corporate sport, being a sport that is so beholden to their sponsors, the sponsors can't afford to, to have any sort of hint of, of you know, racism or, or, or lack of diversity within anything that they're promoting because, you know, the people who are buying their products are, you know, across the spectrum. So I think NASCAR came to that, that realization, one from a, okay, we, you know, it's, it's an internal recognition, but they also, I think the, the bottom line was the bottom dollar. They recognized that they were going to start losing sponsors if they didn't start doing things to, to make sure the place, that, that NASCAR was more diverse. And as we've brought up a couple of times, racing is not cheap. Um, Chris, I, racing is not cheap. I, I guess the big question for me is this all has to start at a grassroots level, right? So I've done uh, club level racing here in the States and, and the UK. I've done karting here. Um, and, I, you know, the, the minorities are, are definitely underrepresented at grassroots level in my experience. I don't know what you guys think. And it, unless you get them at that level, that you're not going to find the sheer volume of, of people that may have the exceptional talent to get to the top, whether or not they have the money. So it's about attracting people to club racing, uh, whether it's drifting or solo events that are a bit more accessible. Or, you know, we have uh, local tracks here that are, that are fairly local to metropolitan uh, centers. So you're not talking about long, long uh, halls or, or distances from where people live to access racetracks. But I, I don't. I don't see any of these initiatives helping grassroots level motorsport and diversity efforts. I mean, do you guys see anything like that? No, I mean, I, I think you're you're right. It's it's a difficult thing. I mean, you know, one of the things that we're trying to push on with with um, with our program is more of the esport side of things because that that I think creates a huge amount of accessibility. Every kid I know, regardless of their of their their income level. Um, has a PlayStation or an Xbox or, you know, or even just, you know, an iPhone or, or, you know, a way to get online and be able to play against somebody else in some racing format. And I think that level of accessibility is probably the most important thing because, as you mentioned, you know, you're, you're looking at it right now, even if you're, you know, focusing on grassroots motorsports, trying to keep things more tied to city centers, things of that nature, you're, you're still talking about having the disposable income that not only allows you to have a race car, but also allows you to have another car that allows you to tow that race car to the track. Right. Um, you know, money for tires, money for gas. And, and, and you know, and, and once again, as, as, as we all know, you can go racing on a budget, but it's very hard to be competitive on that budget. And I think that's one of the bigger things is, is that, you know, you, you, we, we, you could talk around it as much as you want. But at the end of the day, as we keep going back to, racing is an expensive sport. And the only way that you're going to be able to attract people to that sport is, is to be able to help fund that, their, their participation. And that's, you know, and, and until we get to that point, and I don't know what Mercedes has planned. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, they're, they're looking at, at um, you know, trying to, to do what we've just talked about. But, you know, how do you do that? You know, what, what is, 
you know, is Mercedes going to start a grassroots racing series? And then, okay, well, then what platform are they going to use? Mercedes doesn't really have a car that you can, you know, very easily convert. And, and, and their cars are expensive, and, and they're going to be expensive to operate. So unless Mercedes is talking about funding grassroots series all over the world, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly how we're going to do that. So yeah. I think, we're once again, that's why I've been trying to break this down into two parts. You have the, 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 the driver's side of things, and then you have you know, the, the crew side of things. And that's where I think you can really start tying into some of the STEM initiatives that we're seeing in schools, you know, trying to get more kids interested in that, that level of, of education um, that then could bring them into motorsport through being an engineer. Um, you know, Ford has an apprenticeship program uh, that they, they try to basically – uh, it's like going to a school like a UTI school um, that can teach you how to work on Ford cars that then allows you to work at a dealership and then maybe that's a way you can get you know maybe a few of those people in as mechanics in motorsport mm-hmm. so I think there's there are various ways and I think it's it's uh, you know, everybody looks at trying to take this big swing out of things. Like, hey, we want to hit a home run. We want to do this great diversity program that's going to all of a sudden make motorsports inclusive. And and I think that that's just the, the, the wrong way to head about it. I think the way to do it is a lot of people doing just a little bit that opens up just enough doors that it seeds itself. And I think that's, you know, and that's the way I'm approaching this. So we've got one program. We're going to have half a dozen crew guys, and we're going to hopefully use that to open the door for more to come through. And, you know, and, I, and if more teams can do that, then I think we have uh, a success. But I think that if everyone tries to go swing for the fences, it's, it's um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see a huge amount of sustainability in, in, that, in that approach. So I'm glad that the three of us, um, speaking of hitting home runs, could solve racism in under an hour. Um, Done. So now moving on, Chris, um, let's, I want to hear, let's, let's dig into a little bit about grilling Rob on his British touring car uh, side of things. Yeah. So I was just curious what your favorite UK track was when you were racing BTCC. I've, I've done a few myself. I, I can, I can share with you what I thought was my, my favorite, but I'm curious what yours was. Well, it's, it's a bit funny. So my, the first UK track I got a chance to drive was Snetterton. Um, not the best. Not, well, it's, it's funny. It's not the best, but it's it's the most like a U.S. track. So it was the easiest for me to get my head around very quickly. Then I went literally the 180-degree opposite direction and went up to Knock Hill. And, <laughs> okay. And Knock Hill, by far, is one of my favorite tracks. It is – it's just epic. It is it, – it, for me, it was so much fun because it's, it's, it's such a short track and – there is something going on virtually every single second you're in on track. I mean, there's never a point in time where you're on this long straightaway, like Road America. Hey, I've got like, you know, 20 seconds to check my gauges and tap my brakes and make sure there's no pedal knockback and check around me, see if anyone's got a run on me. Like knock kill is like out of a corner, break, next corner, boom, in the corner, out of the corner, break, next corner. And you're always in the middle of doing something. Plus the fact your car is in the air half the time anyway. So, <laughs> so, so what about Brands Indy then? Because that's pretty so, similar. Yeah, so that was the big one for me was, was Brands. Same type of thing as Knock Hill, but it, it has so much history. Like it's one of those places you just, it's like the Nürburgring in a way. Like as soon as you just drive on track, you're just like, you get goosebumps. Like, cause it's just, it's, it's brands hatch. So uh, yeah, so brands is the same way. And the cool thing I, I didn't know about brands was that 
it's you know because I've, I've obviously played it on you know PlayStation a bunch of whenever, but you don't get the, the realization of the, of the topography there, mm. and it's a bowl. Like literally, you go down paddock and then come right back up. And yep. when you're a spectator, that allows you to see almost all of the track and, and, and in great detail. And uh, and for me, I, I enjoyed watching racing as much there as I actually did driving the track. So um, so yeah, Brands is, is by far one of the, I'd say Brands and Not Killer are probably two of my, my favorite tracks in the UK. Yeah, one of my claims to, to fame is uh, lap one in an MG car club race, uh, spinning on Paddock Hill bend, actually facing, and I was on pole position, facing the entire grid, this is coming uh, towards me. That is not a good day, that is not the way you want to start. I almost got the class win, I came second, I fought back through the field, but yeah, it wasn't an ideal start. <laughs> so, real quick, the way you just described brands, it, it actually reminds me of Mosport a bit. Uh, yep. I was like, is, it, is that a just, reasonable? Like, that's the thing is that we've just described a whole bunch of old school circuits. I mean, and that's yeah. Or should I say, Mossport? I think it's Mossport. Whatever. Uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park Canadian nowadays. Tire, right, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's why. Like for me, Mossport was one of my my favorite circuits in the in well, not the US, but North America when I raced because it was that old school circuit. It was just that hanging down the line. And I'm, I'm actually a bit bummed now. They've paved a lot of the runoff, which for me is the mm. is the death knell for any track. You know, it's. I like I like my my circuits to have consequences when you get it wrong. So you know, hence my my you know affinity for for Pikes Peak and my affinity for the Nurburgring. That to me was was old school racing. Is is that it wasn't just about can you technically drive a line and hit your marks and and do all of those things, but but did you actually have the balls to go do it? You know, can you actually drive to the edge of the track at, at Nurburgring going through Friedenkreuz at 150 miles an hour? You know, can you drive, you know, to the edge of Devil's Playground at Pikes Peak, you know, and, and you know, sure, you could do it in the sim and sure, you know, hey, look, I, I, I technically know how to do it. But did you actually have what it took to, to, to drive a car to that limit? And, uh, you know, once again, that's what I like about Knockhill. That's what I like about Brands Hatch. That's what I like about Mosport, all of those old school circuits. The weird thing about Brands Hatch, uh, I was lucky enough to race both the Indy and the GP track. And they are such a contrast because yeah. you, you, you turn off the Indy at left and, and it's like basically three straightaways, right? right. And <laughs> I mean, they're committed corners. They're fast uh, double right-hand corners and you've got the chicane. But it's just like, it's like two circuits, you know, fused together, it, it, and which is, I guess, how, how it arrived in the first place. But it, it, is a weird, it is a weird contrast between those two. Did you ever make it to Cadwell Park? I know it's not on the BTCC. Yep. Oh, yeah. Did you like that one? Because the, yeah, no, the no, mountain no. is hysterical. Yes. You're just like, this is absolutely nuts. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it actually should not be a track. I mean, that's one of those things. It's like a narrow goat path. <laughs> right. You, like, seriously, it's like, really? This is what you guys consider a racetrack? Like, it's, it's, honestly, it's um, uh, Mount Panorama is the other one I've had a chance to race at at Bathurst. And, and it's, oh, wow. And once again, that, that same thing. It's just this, like ridiculously narrow steep hill that that like has no runoff or the runoff it has leads you to a tree or a forest <laughs> or something like that and it's just it's um and that's honestly that's that's that was where i really enjoyed racing over in europe i mean my, my first experience was was in british touring car there and you know i had done like most port most port for me was my most enjoyable circuit that i raced at because it was this old school circuit and then just going over to europe for the first time and racing all of these old school circuits that still like had all of their old character i mean that you know you can't redo brands hatch 
and and have it still be Brands Hatch. You, you know, one you can't redo it because there's a highway right the other side of of the of the fencing there. But but the other thing is is that you it would just you would lose all the character and it would cease to have the history that it has. Yeah, it's like if they resurface Mid Ohio. I mean, that would just ruin the place. Would I mean, it's too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sebring. Yeah, yeah, right. Sebring's an excellent example. You could never touch the pavement at Sebring because it would just like paving it and making it smooth. I'd be like, what's the point in going here? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we've kind of experienced that as Formula One fans at Imola with all the chicanes and everything else. It's just not what it was. Yes, it's safer, and we're I'm grateful that for that aspect of it, but. Um, real quick before before we end, I I did you know I joked that you had a couple of laps around Nordschleife. Um, did you? I mean, you've been there a lot. You actually you actually own a facility right on the track, and yeah. you, I mean, I know the number is in the thousands. I mean, what did you do VLN racing or what racing did you do there, or was it more pure testing for you? We did all of it. We, we did everything from RCN, which is basically club racing, um, to the VLN, which is, I always like to do like a college football game, but it's, it's actually become way more, there's way more pro teams out now there that, that, that are, are racing there. And then the 24 hours of Nürburgring there. Uh, plus, we did testing there. Uh, and then on top of that, we did just a bunch of track days and coaching and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's it's in the thousands. Um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how many. I'm sure the the Nurburgring could could figure that out with because we, we we were lapping so so much there that we get what they call a Yaris card. And a Yaris card is an annual pass, and it's like a little watch bracelet thing that you just hold up to the the uh, ticket taker, and it just you know they, they automatically the gate automatically goes up. And um, so yeah, so we we I was I was getting in several hundred laps a year, pretty much year in, year out. And uh, so, yeah, I, I know the track fairly well. I, I was actually – I helped the guys at iRacing, um, you know, to help, the, help them develop their sim, took them around for a few laps, told them what was important, what wasn't important, like sight lines, you know, things that we're looking for in terms of braking markers, things like maybe off the track, like, hey, that tree, it's not on the track, but it's really important to, to orientate yourself for this corner. Um, yeah, you do enough laps there, and it's it's those things are very important. So that's why, like when I go and do the the Nurburgring sim on iRacing, it's it's uh, it's like being at home because I I kind of help point all those things out. I think the simulators, the only thing they miss. When I got to drive the ring, uh, there was people out on motorbikes, RVs. There was a bus on the circuit. Where are those in the simulators? That's the true <laughs> Nurburgring experience. Yeah. yeah, that's why you go you go do the the track days, and they're they're just absolutely nuts. The the tourist sessions, uh, tourist farthin. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's it's the craziest thing you'll ever do in a car anywhere. It's 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 the most dangerous thing you'll do, but I also highly recommend you doing it because everything else will be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, did you have any other questions for Rob? Really key question. Rob, hot or cold tea? Iced tea or hot tea? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a hot tea guy. Oh, there you go. Excellent. Oh. Two, two of us. That was, that was always the great thing about coming over, over to the UK for the first time. I mean, you know I, we have I, hot tea in the US too, Rob. No, but it's we not. Just don't, <laughs> no, we just no, 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 no. No, you, let's you talk about understand. diversity a second. We have hot and cold tea in the U.S. No, we're, we're, it, we're, we're, when it comes to tea, we're definitely the more open society. For whatever reason, the, the thing that made me feel the, the, most, the most at home in the U.K. was that every place I'd go to, I'd go into the, to the guy who was doing the fabricating on our, on our chassis, and, or I'd go into the race team shop, or I'd go into to talk to Alan Gao at, uh, you know, at, uh, at, at Toka. 
And every time you walk in the door, ah, you like a cup of tea. <laughs> and it's like, it, for whatever reason, it just makes you feel at home. Like it was just like the thing. And and uh, and and you and the, uh, it, I've never had as as much good tea as I've had over there. So uh, that is definitely the one one thing I'll, I'll, I'll miss. <laughs> Excellent. So there you go, Robin. That's the way to drink it. I you heard it here I, first. I had a hot tea this morning. And then I had an iced tea this afternoon, and they were both good. <laughs> so, uh, Americans. One thing I want to one thing I want to close on. I just want to let you know, Rob, that as someone with a girl's name, I think that we are very, very much under underrepresented in racing, and I am willing, I am willing to um, to go ahead and kick. Jack Roush Jr. out of the uh, co-driver's seat and uh, hop in alongside you and really yeah. add some real diversity to the Roush team. And you can tell you can tell Jack uh, that it would be good for his branding. And uh, so I, I'm happy I'm happy to sacrifice for you and be a part of your team. Well, well, thanks, Robin. But um, that that sounds more like a personal problem to me. So I think, I think, I think we're we're going to have to take a pass on that one. Well, on that lovely note, I would like to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. Like. Is iced tea good or not? And the answer is yes, it's good. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Okay, that's it. Oh, Chris, you had to bring up iced tea. I love it.